Good morning. If you weren't here Friday or Saturday night, I'm glad you chose to came uh, choose chose to to come this morning. I think we're all going to be blessed as we look to God's word and and then you know are inspired by the words of life, the words of truth, and as God's Spirit impresses on us who we are called to be in this day and age. Uh, such an opportunity for the gospel, and yet sometimes it's so easy to get discouraged. But with God, all things are possible. And he has created us to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. So we are not going to forget that calling that God has on each one of our lives. Um, I am so honored to, um, to see the progress with Archie and Pam in their life and in their ministry. As you know, Archie has been through a lot recently with the loss of his son. Uh, it, it, I can't imagine the, the difficulty that that would, would place upon a father and the time that that might require to even get back to any semblance of normalcy. And yet I know he's loved and supported by you uh, 10 times over. And so I, I can't thank you enough as a congregation for your uh, role in, in blessing them as they serve you, as God's called them here to serve you. Your role in this community. Uh, God has positioned you in a unique place. And with us keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We will overcome. We will uh, be able to seek and save the lost. We will be able to be the light of the world that he's called us to be. Um, please hold in readiness a couple uh, books in our uh, scripture, particularly the New Testament, but one Old Testament book we're going to look at again is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, keep that in readiness, Deuteronomy, and then the book of Acts of the Apostles, and then Luke. We're going to look at Luke for just a few moments. For the last two nights, I've been talking about a couple ideas that pertain to why we're here and what we can do to, to be about God's business. You see, Friday night we talked about a biblical vision. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. And tonight or to this morning, you were either in the family of God or not, or moving towards that. And it is so important because the things of God are dealing with things that are not temporal, but they're going to last through eternity, beyond this life. And we must understand that there is an urgency upon each one of us who would call ourselves the, the, the believers or followers of God to not keep it to ourselves. And so a biblical vision would embrace the same qualities that Jesus did. He came for two reasons. He came to honor his father and he came to seek and save the lost. That's a biblical vision. And as you embrace that here, God will give you joy unspeakable and knowing that you're part of the greatest work in the world. Last night we talked about a attainable mission. A mission is how you carry out God's vision. And we talked about some ideas that if, if we were to just focus on the greatest two commandments of all, Jesus said all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two phrases, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Think about it, friends, this morning. If our world loved God, and we know mostly they don't, 
if our world loved one another, what a different place this would be. And so rather than looking at what is not, let's look at what is. And, and God has created us to be people who are, are able to love him in return. If someone's given you a great gift, you, you cannot be untouched by that gift. You're going to be moved. And God's given you and I the greatest gift of all. It transcends all the material things you own, all the people that maybe you thought were influential and helped you to climb any ladder of success. God has given us life. And life abundant. The ability to be forgiven of this seed of infection that we all have called sin. Jesus came, the perfect Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world for all who would put their faith and trust in him. And when we are saved, we are not saved just to keep it to ourselves, but we're saved to serve. We're one to win. And think about it. If the world saw you truly making an effort to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we don't always do that, but if God saw you loving everyone with that agape love, I tell you what, the gospel message would be on fire every day. And like the book of Acts, where it says the Lord was adding to their number, what? Daily, those who were being saved. Because the community of faith was trusting and, and believing in the word and the words of God. Today we're going to look at values, uncompromising values that would define us. What is it that undergirds the decisions we make, that guides and navigates us to either accept something or reject it, to, to do something or, or not. And when we look at a couple values today that I think the leadership team here should prayerfully meet to, to consider what values you would hold dear. Of course, there could be dozens of them, but what are the prime values, four or five, that are building blocks for everything you do, I would suggest, first of all, one might be biblically surrendered. Biblically surrendered. Have you ever met somebody that can quote scripture and they seems like they know the whole Bible, but their lifestyle is nothing close? You see, what good is that? Jesus said, what good is it if you, man gains the whole world and loses his soul? What if you know the scripture from front to back, but it's never touched you? It's never moved from your mind down to your heart. You're as lost as lost can be. You know about God, but you don't know God. And so today, what is it like to be biblically surrendered? Not biblically knowledgeable, but to surrender our lives as best we can to the call of God, to the will of God. Free. Free. There's no cost to me. All that was done was done on a tree. Free. Free. There's no cost to me. Praise God for Calvary. You know, while our salvation is 100% based upon God's grace, while the security of our 
soul and our relationship with God is, is grounded in the hands of Jesus, there is this thought. Grace is not cheap. In the midst of the gospel of grace are the words, count the cost. If you want to love Jesus, you must love him more than your houses, more than your lands, more than your family, more than your friends. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him daily. How many of you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Two people in the New Testament church. And they had sold a plot of land. Nothing wrong with that. And they chose to give some money to God's work. Nothing wrong with that. But when asked what they were giving and was that in uh, parallel with what they had sold, they, they lied. And they didn't just lie to the people in the church. It was as if they were lying to the Holy Spirit. And right then and there, each one of them fell dead to their feet and they had to be carried out because God takes it seriously when, when there's a, a complete, you know, lie that, that really affects the church. I can remember my father-in-law back in Orlando, Florida years ago. He used to be a minister before he passed away. And he was in this small church, and I remember they sometimes would struggle financially. But he noticed one thing after a couple years. The one person who counted the money, he was a deacon, and when he would go out of town, their offerings would go up. And this pattern continued for a few years until they were able to finally decide that here this man who proclaimed to be a, a Christ follower, a leader, as a deacon, he was embezzling money from God's church. Folks, can you imagine? It's one thing to think of all the sins we've committed, but here in the house of God, to just make a mockery of the things of God and to steal from God himself. What is it that causes us to say one thing and do another you see it's not enough to know the bible we must live by it it's not enough to know about jesus we must follow there's a saying sow a thought for those of you who are farmers or know about farming you, you sow a thought you reap an act you sow an act you reap a habit you sow a habit you reap a lifestyle and you sow a lifestyle and you reap a destiny you see all of us must determine what are we going to do with the call to follow Jesus, to be his children. All of us also have been negatively affected by people who have not been biblically surrendered. There have been people that have hurt you, people that have wounded you, intentionally or unintentionally, because they weren't walking with God. God help us to be someone who will point people to God not cause people to stumble. Amen? Does your walk match your talk? If not, why? Nobody's talking about perfection, so let's dismiss that thought. If it was about perfection, we'd, we'd all be taken off the planet in an instant. But you and I are never going to reach people with the gospel of grace unless it has first reached us. 
forgiven, and transformed. That is that I look at my life and I make decisions daily with the help of the Word and the Spirit. Am I the person that I claim to be? Am I the person that others view me to be? Am I the person that I want to be? Well, what about when you blow it? What about when you make mistakes? We talked the other night about King David. What do you do? Well, praise God, we can admit our sin, we can repent, and we can confess, and God forgives. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God is for us, not against us. And He will never turn away a penitent, repentant person who comes to Him humbly on his knees or her knees. But while the act of every sin is forgivable, the effects of some sins are not erasable. While the act of every sin is forgivable, the effects of some sins are not erasable. There are some decisions we make that we might be forgiven of, but we have to live with the consequences the rest of our life. But we need to not be discouraged by that either because what might look like a thorn in the flesh what might cause us to limp what might be an embarrassment can actually be your greatest testimony i told the story the other night that our chairman of our elders at the church where i'm at and that doesn't mean anything big other than he's the greatest servant leader of all he it, he's not he didn't make all the decisions. He didn't boss anybody around. A chairman of the elders, actually the, the higher you get in leadership, the more humble you must become. And you must become like Jesus, the servant of all. And I can tell you that Don Dehart is a man of God, and he's humble, and he serves. But 13, 14 years prior to today, he was an alcoholic fighting for his life, and his wife fighting for his marriage. And he went to one of our Christian 12-step programs. His wife drug him upstairs, and he not only got sober, but he reconnected with God. And ever since then, he's been living for Jesus. But it has become a testimony, because now, who leads our Christian 12-step program but him? The others have gone. And he has caught the vision for the thing that Satan wanted to destroy him with has now become what he uses to help others. Amen? And it's not an embarrassment. It's a testimony. And so sometimes our greatest struggle, if we're honest, can become our greatest testimony. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 3 through 9 in the Old Testament and see what was encouraged regarding God's word and the people of God at this time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Think about it. Think about a society where nobody obeyed the rules. Think about it. Now, I had the privilege of test driving a car last night after most of y'all left. And I drove around the church building. I was allowed to drive it around the church building. 
and it was safe. You can't only go but 10 miles an hour around the church building. So there was no temptation to get out on the highway and open her up. Is that you back there? Oh, I'm sorry. But think about a society where nobody obeyed any laws of the land. And I, I propose to you, this is one evidence that there is a God, because where do we even get laws from anyhow? If we're just animals, where do morals and values, where does all that come from? Conscience, tears, joy, laughter, guilt. If there is no God, that doesn't come from a speck of dust. But what if the pilot on the plane you get on next, what if he hadn't ever been trained? What if he kind of flubbed his way through, you know, flight school. And he just wanted to have a good time. And he got in there and didn't know what he was doing. And he's up there trying to fly this plane. What if the person preparing food at the next time you go to a restaurant well, went, went to the restaurant? No, we won't go there. We won't go there. What if nobody followed the rules? We couldn't depend on anything. Our life would be miserable. There has to be values. There has to be certain fundamental truths. And being biblically surrendered to God, while it's not possible perfectly, I propose to you that if the grace of God has touched you, you will want to respond out of love for God. You'll want to follow You'll want to be his disciple. You'll want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you're going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you in the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to do them. That it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. In a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk uh, diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Biblically surrendered. You don't cruise control your marriage. You don't cruise control your friendships, and you can't cruise control your faith. We must get serious about the things of God, because God's Son gave His very life for us. The biblical surrender I'm talking about must be a core value for the believer. I've got a 30-day challenge for you. For any of you that would like to, to take this on, starting today or tomorrow, I challenge any and all of you to take the middle of your Bible, open it up, and there you'll find Psalms and Proverbs. And most of the time, Psalms 
are encouraging, but sometimes you see the humanity of the psalm writer and the, and the difficulty they're going through. And Proverbs, I tell you, if you've not read Proverbs in a while, it'll smack you around. And sometimes we need that. I need that. And I invite you to, for the next 30 days, take one psalm and one proverb a day and just hit the pause button in your, in your busy lives and just read a psalm and a proverb. And then day two, chapter two and chapter three, or chapter two and then day three, chapter three, a psalm and a proverb and see after 30 days what a difference it will make. Biblically surrendered. Number two, authentically connected. Authentically connected. Being authentic means you are deep and honest and real. And being connected means that you're slowing down long enough to, take, to get to know people at a deep level. We live in a day of disunity. Family, politics, intolerance of others, individualism, selfishness, isolation. A lot of it's due to the pandemic. And we're learning to overcome, aren't we? And by the grace of God, we're going to keep marching on. And we may get three steps forward and two steps back. But we're not going to sit down as a people, as a nation, and especially as the people of God. We have a reason to live. John 17, Jesus talked with his disciples about unity. Praying to his Father for their unity and the unity of all the saints that they would be connected, they would be one. And if you would look me, with me in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 and following, we looked at this the other night, but I want to bring it up again. Thinking about authentically connected, what does the community of believers, what is it to look like? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they, the disciples, devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's kind of different from a Sunday morning Christian, isn't it? it, it it's doing life together. It's enjoying fellowship meals together. It's coming together to serve together on a mission project Maybe coming together to have a, a Bible study in your home and, and to have a meal at the same time. But what happens when we come together? Why do you think Satan tries to divide us so much? Because there is power in unity when believers come together. So that is within the body of Christ. Within the body of Christ, there must be this unity. There must be this connection between the saints. But what about outside? What about externally? I was hungry. And you formed a humanitarian club. And you discussed my hunger. Thank you. 
I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel in the cellar to pray for my release. I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God. I'm still very hungry and lonely and cold. So where have your prayers gone? What have they done? What does it profit a man to page through his book of prayers when the rest of the world is crying for help? What does it look like to take the love, the unity, the care that we have for one another and extend it a half a mile outside this building, a mile outside this building in every direction? What would it be like to become connected to a community in some way or another? And that's up to you and God to figure out. We must find ways to connect in spite of all the fears that would hold us back. Jay Kessler, he said this. He said, one of my goals in life is to wind up with eight men who are willing to carry one of my handles. <laughs> if you don't know what I was talking about, he's talking about at his funeral. He, he he wanted to have eight men, at least, as friends that would carry one of the handles. Do you have eight people that you know that would live for you, that might even die for you, that would stand for you in a time of need? If you think about it, the pandemic has created a lot of lonely people, disconnected and scattered. But we must figure out how to come back together and stay connected doing life together, serving, meals, prayer, study, small groups, being in communion with one another. Another core value might be this. We want to grow in discipleship, but we also want to be others-focused. If, if someone wasn't others-focused, you wouldn't be here today. You ever thought of that? Someone was others-focused. And that's why you're here today. That's why you have heard about God. Because someone else was others-focused. The entire gospel of grace is about others. It is a family always waiting for the next person to be born. Or even the church to be born again. Maybe there's some fears. Well, what if we get too big and I lose my influence? Friends, it was never a bad influence because we talked about Friday night. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's God's church. Amen. It's not about you and all your influence. It's about Jesus. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And if you're presenting the gospel of grace, and if you're living out the things you say by the way you live, people will see Jesus in you and they'll want to come. And you'll spend all of eternity together. And you'll be storing up treasures in heaven. And you'll not only hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but you'll be able to celebrate as you walk across that finish line and you look to your right and your left and there's people that you've helped bring along. Others focused. Think about Luke 15, the prodigal son. What does it say? One of my favorite passages, when the son who had left home and he had sinned and he'd 
rebelled. He'd done all these crazy things. When he decided to come home, he made his way for home. And what happened? The father saw him from a long way off, which means to me that the father had been looking for him, his lost son, every day. Do you know there's some people that keep praying for their children? They keep praying for their grandchildren. They don't give up. And when the father, in this parable of the prodigal son, saw the son from afar off, what does the Bible say? He, what? Ran. That's a picture of what God does to me and you. He runs to us. When we get down on our knees or we walk towards God, He runs towards us with His arms opened wide. I'm telling you, that's a beautiful picture of God. In the parable of the lost coin in Matthew or Luke 15, here's this person that has you know, all these coins, but they lost one and they stop and take time to try to find the one lost coin. Others focused. To fulfill your mission, God and then others must be a top priority. Compassionately bold. I want to finish with this possible value. Compassionately bold. Ephesians 4.15, rather speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. If you speak the truth, but you don't have love, that's legalism. And if you love people, but you never tell them the truth, that's liberalism. And so here's a pop quiz for you this morning. Which is it easier for you to do? Is it easier for you to tell someone the truth or to love them? Is it easy for you just to blurt it out and tell people how it is? Or are you kind and compassionate and loving and merciful and gracious? God wants us to be both. We must speak the truth, but we must do it in love. I've learned that I need to be bolder. I need to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. And sometimes fear of what others might think causes me to shy away from doing or saying or living the way God would have me. Why aren't we more bold? Well, I don't know, but I think we can improve. David Platt said the martyrs did not die because they believed the gospel. They died because they proclaimed it. You know, you know you're going to die one day, right? You're not going to live forever on this earth. That's not a secret. I'm not telling you anything new. But you know, sometimes we, we don't want to think about that because we think that's depressing. We think that's negative news. But for the Christian, it's glorious news. Because I get to go to a place where there is no pain and suffering and there's just joy and love like you've never known. But you're going to die somehow. You're going to die someday. What if you gave your life for the greatest cause of all? What if you were embarrassed because you were standing up for the greatest cause of all, your creator, 
and you unashamedly, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. As we close out this weekend, vision, who we are, mission, how we accomplish that, and values, what we stand for, non-negotiables. Corey Tim Boom, a Dutch Christian watchmaker, helped Jews escape from the Holocaust. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. And so I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus in a world that will pull you in every direction possible. Realign your focus, your vision, your mission, your values on Jesus. Look to Christ for our vision to seek and save the lost. Look to Christ for an example of how to live our mission, loving God, loving others, serving both, and embrace God's values as the backbone of everything you do. We're going to come to a time of invitation, and I invite you to consider what, what is the decision you need to make to be more bold, to be more loving, to be a part of a church that is serving and loving God and standing up for truth. Maybe to come to know Him for the first time and to know you just come to Him in simple faith and you believe that God is and that His Son Jesus was sent to earth to be a propitiation for your sins. That is that He died so that you can live the perfect Lamb of God. He took your place on the cross so you don't have to die a physical death. You don't have to die a spiritual death. He is blotted out all sins of those who come to Him so that we can stand before God clean. He doesn't look at our past. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our sins from us. And we recognize our sin. We turn from our sin as best we can. We repent and we were baptized into Jesus Christ. And we begin walking a new life. It doesn't stop at the baptistry, folks. We begin walking a new life. We begin living for God like we never have. We begin living for others. And we carry an entire life on mission for God. Let's pray and we'll sing. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you that we can come and hear your words and fellowship together as friends and believers together in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the sweet fellowship that exists here. And I pray your blessing on this church and its ministry. And God, upon the Spirit of God that is here in our midst, God, that you would enlarge our faith, enlarge our courage, Enlarge our love for those around us. But God, help us to look deep within every day. To not be overcome by sin, not be defeated by the devil, but God, to be humble and to look to Jesus, realizing just like Paul, he must increase, I must decrease. In Jesus' name, amen.